Hello, hello, and welcome back to Generation Slay, the podcast where we interview the Gen Z creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs who are absolutely killing it in their fields. I'm your host, Emma Havakorst. I'm a senior at Fordham University, a social media manager, and Gen Z consultant. I'm also a Taurus and a chai latte addict. If those mean anything to you, they're certainly the defining characteristics to me. I've been blogging since I was 13, interning since I was 15, and doing school fairly successfully in whatever free time was left over after those two were all done. So yeah, we're working hard over here, and I have absolutely no doubt that whatever you're doing, you're working just as hard. So thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to listen. Guys, I cannot even begin to tell you how incredibly excited I am for the guest this week. It was someone that I reached out to fully expecting that I'd never hear back, I'd never get an email back, I'd never get a DM back, and I did. And let me just tell you, I may have screamed for a good five minutes. The fangirl in me truly, truly popped off with this interview, and hopefully you can't tell that much. Hopefully I wasn't fangirling too hard, but in all seriousness, I just need to give you an intro, and then we'll talk a little more. So our guest this week is Yayan. Joshua Yayan Williams has spent the last decade perfecting his mix of lyrical talent, songwriting, and his vocal abilities to become one of the most interesting self-made artists of the modern day. For that, I can vouch. From creating iTunes chart landing mixtapes from his bedroom in the East Bay of San Fran, to writing high-energy internet skater pop projects in his flat in London, Yayan really does know how to keep himself busy. And he knows how to make himself the most successful. So, from my perspective, I have been a fan of Yayan's music for probably three, four years now, which is right about when he was making his chart landing mixtapes in San Fran. And wow, truly. Yayan's music has been the soundtrack for basically my entire college experience, and yeah, so that's four years of my life at this point. I cannot tell you guys how much his music hits home for me, how much it connects with me, and the beats, the songs, they are absolute bangers. Truly and deeply, such bops. I love them so much. I probably listen to Yayan every single time I sit down to work for more than an hour just because it's the perfect grind background music. It is the best pregame music. It is just the best. And I really, I really can't tell you guys how excited I was to do this interview. I just really need to keep disclosing that because I am 100% sure that you can tell in the interview, that I am trying so hard to contain that fangirl in me, to just conduct a helpful and nice interview. But truly, Yayan has so much to offer in this interview. 
everything from how he got started in music, how he learned how to produce music and how he learned to write songs and just the development of his process as well as, you know, the development of his aesthetics throughout and how he uses social media to connect with his fans. And we even talk about the difference between, you know, a small venue concert and when you hit it big, those massive stadium tours and that kind of difference between those two. So it truly is such an insightful and incredible interview, especially for any of you looking to go into the music or recording industry. This will be a big one. He really is so insightful. He's so experienced, even at, you know, our young little Gen Z age. But he's really killing it, and I hope you enjoy the interview. And after this, you better go. Just hop on your Spotify, hop on your Apple Music, and go listen to some yayin. It'll perk up your day, I'm sure. Without any further fangirling, let's go into the interview. First things first, obviously, I am so, so excited to have you on Generation Slay today. And just to kick everything off, can you give us in the audience a little bit about you, your background, how you got started, what you do now, all of the things? Yeah, sure, of course. Um, So I am um, 21. I am from San Francisco, California, but my family is extremely painfully English. So growing up, I always sort of had like a split childhood between um, San Francisco and the UK. And I think that that later on really helped with um, creating music because I had, you know, two great places to pull inspiration from. But I started writing music when I was about 11 or 12. And then um, started producing and DJing when I was like 13 because I wanted to be Skrillex. And then uh, around 15, I started actually releasing music. Um, and yeah, it just sort of avalanched into putting out um, albums I made in my bedroom to uh, touring, to signing with proper management and all that. And then now I'm here today. So yeah, it's been sort of like uh, almost a decade in, um, of working towards this crazy old little dream of mine. I cannot believe that you started so 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 young because that like <laughs> that is so young to be like yeah. trying to produce and dj and like figure all of those systems <laughs> so how did you learn how to do that initially yeah so um well when i was like 12 or 13 i um well, I'd also, okay, well, I was like four or five, and I told my mom I wanted to be a rock star, and then she put my brother and I into bands, and then I learned about, like, music. I was the drummer, and my brother would sing, and so I learned about um, tempo and rhythm from just being in a bunch of different bands growing up. At one point, when I was about 10, we were in, like, a Slipknot cover band. It was crazy, and then <laughs> as it got on, it was, like, uh, must have been 12 or 13. I really loved like Skrillex and Dead Mouse and the EDM thing. And I remember like DJing for my Catholic school, um, middle school dances and then finding out about Ableton, which is like this 
um, digital workstation you used to produce. And I literally, I'm not kidding. Like for my middle school years, I had no social life. Like all I did was come home from school and like learn um, how to produce. Like I would spend hours watching tutorials on YouTube and everything. Literally just, <laughs> I had no friends. It was just me and my computer. <laughs> Honestly, I've found through this podcast that most of the people who have reached success at our very young age are the people who, like, hid in their bedrooms in middle school and high school. <laughs> were like, I'm going to figure this one thing out because I love it. So, it was, yeah, it was funny. <laughs> yeah, you're certainly not alone in that. So, moving into, like, producing albums from your bedroom... Yeah. What was the process of that? How did you record? How did you write? How did you make all of that happen just as a young person in high school? Yeah, so it got to the point when I was about 15 or 16 where I couldn't produce the stuff that I wanted to be making. And so I would go on to YouTube and literally look up like Drake type beat. And then there's a bunch of beats you could buy for like $20. And then I would um, write to them. I remember I got um I started working as soon as I could like I worked at Taco Bell for eight months like um, every day after school to be able to pay to um, go to the studio and record vocals which was like a hundred and fifty dollars for an hour it was insane so I would buy these beats like save up work 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 write 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 go to the studio um, record and then just put them out and then. Um, it wasn't really going anywhere, so I was like, okay, I need to do, like, an album, and then that's, so that was sort of the process, like, find a beat, buy it, work my ass off, oh, sorry, work my tushy off to pay for studio time, and then record it all, and then release it, yeah. Very DIY. <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, from my perspective, I've known and followed you, your career from, like, Pink Suburbia on. No way. So seriously, like crazy. I like feel bad because I don't want to like fangirl, but like you put up with me for this long. (laughs) Truly, like the last three years, you know how Spotify does like the end of year, like who you listen to the most. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like you and and Ariana Grande, and like that's it. That's amazing. I'm so honored. That's amazing. (laughs) I can't put up with me for that long. Um, of course. No, it's, like, truly incredible. So I guess personally and also just, like, professionally, because I think it was such a great idea, how did you come up with the concept of doing, like, the color schemes as it related to the albums and, like, translating that into, like, your social media? Like, Mm -hmm. where did that concept come from? Because I have always thought that that was so ingenious. Yeah, so I, well, growing up, just like I remember, um, whether it was in like the bands I was in or like the music I was producing or even the beats I would search for, like, I only really, like the color, I saw the color of it, if that makes sense, like certain notes had a color and um, rhythms, sort of a palette, and so I, um, when I was going about creating Pink Suburbia, I was like, well, I want to be unique as an artist and I want it to not be like, hey, I'm a SoundCloud rapper. I want it to be like an experience. (laughs) I don't know if that's like pretentious, but like I wanted it to be, I wanted it to have depth. And so that for me was like um, only using, you know, writing to 
songs that I saw Pink when I was writing them. And then um, that's why Pink Suburbia is a lot more sort of youthful and like, oh, I'm drunk and I'm 16 and my parents are going to be mad at me. And then as I went on to St. California, like um, the blue to me was like rain and it was very ambient. And then the purple to me was um, for Over the Garden Wall, very um, sort of fairy tale-ish. Like we use all that sort of medieval text and filters to make it look like a storybook. And with the social media stuff, it was literally just like, I would take a picture and then <laughs> I'd have my um, art, art guy like um, Photoshop it pink or blue or purple and then just post it yeah I love that and I love that you just made the choice of like no we're just gonna photoshop these to be the right colors because <laughs> I see people with like aesthetic Instagram feeds and they have to go search out like all uh, things yeah. that are pink or white or blue how <laughs> the time not me <laughs> <laughs> um okay that's so cool to know so now you're in kind of a new phase. Yes, ma'am. There's new music coming out. Yeah. The albums were consolidated. So what's happening? What's going on? Okay, so, right. I'm going to, I haven't really talked about this yet, but I think it's good to talk about it. Um, when I moved to London, I was going to do Red. So this whole year I've been sort of Red. And um, now that I had management, it wasn't, we had to move away from that whole buying my beats and making it myself. Like I was going into the studio with like Dua Lipa's producer and um, Little Mix and all that. And so, so it was very much more like professional. And so uh, the downside to that is that I'm still an independent artist. So if I came up with a song that I really loved to pay the producers myself out of pocket, cause I'm not signed would be like two grand or three grand. And so, um, we were just sitting on like five songs that were going to be the red EP for like a year. And it just sort of, it was killing me. Like I would literally wake up like miserable that this stuff that I loved and, um, created from, I thought it was like my best stuff was just sort of sitting there and I felt disconnected from it. I felt like I literally like my, like I lost a friend. It was like traumatic um and so then I was always getting in arguments with my manager about it and so after one day in like August I was I just deleted all the color stuff I was like you know what I need to rethink how I'm gonna do this right this was cool for then but I really need to up it now and I need to not take it as seriously like I can still be that quirky um uh you know nerd but in sort of, um, I don't need, I don't know how to explain it, but I was like, you know what, screw that, I'm over it. So we still had to release VR, which, you know, did quite well and got on BBC Radio 1, which I'm still crying about. But um, in the meantime, while my old EP died, I had gotten in the studio with a really good friend of mine, and we literally just banged out like four different tracks and um, he wasn't going to charge me a ridiculous amount for it. He, he just really believed in it. So um, that's basically the EP that's coming out now. We've been working on it for like a month, getting a music video ready. So it really went from like me in my bedroom to me in studios, which is like the polar opposite to somewhere in the middle where it's like still professional, but it has that sort of um, comforting feel to it where I can, still access you know my bedroom self and my professional self if that makes sense oh was, sorry <laughs> oh my gosh don't apologize at all that makes 
that makes a lot of sense. So for you personally, I mean, you talked a little bit about like having to let that music go and how that was hard for you, but were there other kind of challenges and like weird stepping stones from going that like zero to a hundred of like recording and writing and doing all of that by yourself, like out of your bedroom, essentially to being in that big studio with major producers? Like, were there other challenges or issues that you personally dealt with or dealt with with your music mm. and how it was being produced when that I happened? Yeah, I think that's something that I am like, the, the core essence of who I am as an artist is like, I'm the same person in when I'm alone, and when I'm with people who have won like six Grammys, you know what I mean? Like I'm so, I'm not a very confident person, but when it comes to trusting myself to um, be genuine with myself and access my emotions easily, like that doesn't really change. So it wasn't really an issue of going for like, cause I think that I can, I've, I'm writing better music now than I was back then. Um, I think that it was a bit difficult because it was like, oh, I can't do this at my own pace. Like we have eight hours and uh, to make something and I'll never see you again. But after a while, like if that eight hours had gone by and you hadn't made something you're, you know, listening to over and over again and proud of, then I just learned that that's just the business and that's just sort of how it moves. Um, I think it was just more like within myself as a human and not like a artist, like going, sharing that vulnerability with new people instead of just like you know my ceiling fan and disco ball back home I guess (laughs) (laughs) and disco ball it's true she's still there oh I love that oh my gosh wow okay um yes so that makes a lot of sense I love that you're able to explain and put into words that feeling of like not being supremely confident in yourself, but also trusting your gut and your instincts with your music and your identity and how you connect to it and write. Because I feel like a lot of people do feel like that, like maybe personally, they're not fully set in. I mean, we're very young. We don't really, (laughs) we are at this point, but you do know that you like trust your gut and your intuition with the things that you were creating and putting out into the world. Yeah, and I think that, like, yeah. nowadays that is really important for anybody, like, what they're doing, whether it be, like, in the arts or um, just to sort of have that security. And it, it hasn't come – I don't truly believe that it's come from 100% myself either. It's, like, the people that have been following me, like you, for years, and, like, um, <laughs> you're sort of validating that, you know, mixtape that I – put out when I was like 17 and didn't think a thing of it like it was literally just a joke full of um album full of inside jokes with my friends turned into music and then like people liked it and then it's sort of been like building blocks over the years where it's like okay um now I know what I now I know who I really am and it's been with the help of you know all these people that have been watching me grow for the past few years but I really think that it is super important, no matter what you do, to go into it trusting yourself 100%. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and kind of a separate topic. How is touring? What's that whole environment like? What's setting up a tour, selling tickets, performing for people? 
Like, what is that like? Because I'm okay. sure it's crazy, especially yeah. a first round tour. Oh, absolutely. So I'm independent, and normally, like, a label will give you money to cover a tour. But, um, yeah, I don't even know where to start. So you need an agent, right, to book you all these shows, to get you on tours. But I don't have one. And so what we did last year was do, like, a literal last minute, like, planned one month before, which never happens. Uh, like, a four-city tour in the States um, to when we were going uh, so that when we were going to get man, um, an agent, we would be able to show them, like, oh, look, you already did a tour, right? So sort of, like, shortcutting a bit. Um, but to no expense of our hard work because, damn, that was very difficult. Um, we had to call the venues ourselves, um, my manager and I, we had to make the merch all like within a month, which normally tours you plan like six months before, but this was like, all right, it's go time. We had to get the flights, the merch, the, um, I had to find DJs for each city because we couldn't afford for someone to travel with us all that way. Um, it was insane. Like it was the best like two weeks of my life, but looking back now i do not know how we did it without having an existential crisis because it was a lot of work i can't imagine doing that much work but at the end of the day like i'm sure it's worth it like being able to see your fans in person and perform oh, absolutely. oh yeah that was that was sort of the the um, like i wasn't even thinking about any of like the hardships when I was doing it, it was like, I'd get on stage and, um, I never really, I performed like a few times one off, but I'd never done like a full set to myself, like a full hour. And it was crazy. Like there were people who had driven for like six hours to come see me. And like, we gave away free merch the first night of the LA show. And, um, so when I announced it, I, I said, okay, everyone go to the merch table and get your free shirt. And I'm going to go, you know, get unsweaty so I can, we can do this meet and greet. Um, and then when I came back, this girl had already changed into her shirt and she was first in line and I started bawling. I was, ab I literally, I looked like such a baby. I was like, I can't believe someone's wearing my shirt. And I, she was singing all the words every night and like each city had its like um, somebody like that. That was like so rewarding to me because to me, I'm not like this huge artist, like, I'm, I don't know what I look like to people, but to see that this person was having such a pure and like honest reaction to stuff that I don't really think too much about was really like inspiring. Absolutely. I mean, from my perspective, like obviously not a musician at all, but I cannot even begin to imagine how much power that could have, especially the first time you do it. Yeah. <laughs> just being able to look out and be like oh these people have truly listened and learned yeah exactly and they connect to it all like in their own ways yeah absolutely and but they're all still... friends with each other which was the best part because like you i leave the show seeing like new groups of friends and you know people talking about what song was my favorite like when they were queuing up outside like people who had never met before like bonding over me was, was crazy i was like that's oh my god that's actually wild that may be the most crazy part like knowing that you are the reason people are like connecting and bonding and forming friendships yeah, it's mad. that's crazy yeah that's i mean really but it's that's also an indication of 
your work and the music that you're putting out, it encourages that kind of vibe and those relationships and that bonding. It's not something that makes people want to be like secluded or yeah, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is like what seems to be pushing me to do this and like moments that I feel like, oh, what's the point? Like none of this music's ever going to come out. And then I think back to those people and it's like, oh, they would slap me across the face if they heard me saying this. Like, I don't know. Like that's really the best part about it is seeing the impact it has on like real people's lives. Cause having a following um, is one thing, but like seeing your effect on people in real life truly is like a completely different world. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that's the difference between like an influencer or a celebrity who has like a huge following and one that actually is able to connect one-on-one with their followers and yeah. understand what they want. Sorry, I'm like a marketing digital person, so I always put it in that space, but I love that. <laughs> at the end of the day, like you are influencing people but you're at a level where you're able to still see the faces in the crowd and yeah absolutely in lines and meet and greet with them rather than it being a huge stadium which is obviously like something I want for you something I see for you mm-hmm. but also at that point it's hard to connect individually really 100% I think that that's something that I would fear losing as I go on like because in, in the Chicago show, there's probably like 40 people and getting to like hang out with them all. Like I really, truly do remember every single person. And like to think that next time I go back, it might be like 500 and then like maybe thousands. And it's just like, it's a bit scary because like I know what it feels like to be like friends with a smaller artist and then they get huge. And then you, it, even though it shouldn't be this way, it's a bit like disappointing. But then again, you know, I, I don't want, I'm going to try my hardest to make sure that the people who have gotten me this far aren't forgotten, um, you know, if there's like exponentially more tomorrow, if that makes sense. Oh, of course it does. And I think even that sentiment and that goal of making the effort and prioritizing that is what's actually important in the long run, because I'm sure a lot of people don't care as much in the industry and are ready to like forget it yeah absolutely um so unfortunately we do have to start wrapping up but before we go I would love for you to give some advice to our audience just either about potentially breaking into the music industry or if you prefer just anything about growing up living your life whatever whatever you feel like sharing I well I think I don't remember who said this but this is something that was told to me a bunch when I was starting it's like um you got to look at why you're doing it if you're trying to you know get into the music industry right if like you're making a bunch of music and no one's listening there's probably a reason if you're making a bunch of like if you're making a few songs and one person says to you like oh that was really good then that should be the inspiration to move on, right? It shouldn't be that immediate instant gratification of um, having a song on the radio or it going viral. It, it should be, you should be doing this. Well, I shouldn't, I can't tell you why you should be doing this, of course, but um, if I'm just gonna say it's much more impactful 
if you're doing it um, for the people who support you, I don't know how to word this, but you get what I mean. If one person is saying they like it, then that should be enough to keep you going. And one day there's going to be five people and then 10 and then 14,000 and then 100,000. So that's my advice. I love it. So before you go real quick, just tell all the people where they can find you online, where they can find your music, what they should be looking for coming up very soon, whatever you want to plug. Yeah, of course. So you can find me on all social medias at Yain Official, which is I-E-U-A-N Official. And um, I've got my new single, Kier Car, coming out in like four weeks. I don't know. And then a music video the day after, and then my EP in December. So you should all be ready for that and you should all definitely go listen to all of generation slays podcast no this was not a paid sponsorship (laughs) thank you so much and obviously like whenever this episode comes out if anything is out by then i will link all the things below so anyone who's listening whatever you're looking for scroll down a little bit it'll be right there awesome thank you so much for having me i hope you have a great day mike Thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Generation Slay. Make sure to follow us at Generation Slay on Instagram and Twitter for updates and motivation, and check into Insta Stories on Fridays for takeovers by our guests where you can ask questions and get amazing answers, or even get a sneak peek into their daily lives. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so that more people can see the show and can hear the wonderful insights and stories that our guests have to share. In the meantime, always remember, failure is proof that you're trying and putting yourself out there, which is more than a lot of people can say. You're really doing great. Happy hustling, and I'll see you next week. Bye!